Well, this morning we look to the summary of God's Word we find in Lord's Day 28 as we, uh, we look at the Lord's Supper and its significance for us. We're um, doing that this morning in part because it seems helpful that we go through this section on the Lord's Supper before we partake of the Lord's Supper on Good Friday. Um, but before we read that, I'd like to read two brief passages with you. First, from Mark chapter 11, which um, describes to us the institution of the Lord's Supper. And then after that, we're going to read just one verse from Galatians 2. Mark 14, beginning in verse 22, brings us to the upper room where Jesus had sent his disciples to prepare the Passover meal. And we read there in verse 22, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And then in Galatians 2, verse 20, Paul reminds us, now he's speaking to those who have been justified, not by what they have done, not by anything they have accomplished, but justified by what Christ has done, received through faith. And he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We read that because that's a big lesson in the Lord's Supper. That's uh, something that the Lord's Supper is intended to show us. We'll talk about that in a few moments. Now, Lord's Day 28 in our catechism asks us, Three questions. The first is, how does the Holy Supper remind and assure you that you share in Christ's one sacrifice on the cross and in all his benefits? And the answer is in this way. Christ has commanded me and all believers to eat this broken bread and to drink this cup in remembrance of him. With this command come these promises. First, As surely as I see with my eyes the bread of the Lord broken for me and the cup shared with me, so surely his body was offered and broken for me and his blood poured out for me on the cross. Second, as surely as I receive from the hand of him who serves and taste with my mouth the bread and cup of the Lord, given me as sure signs of Christ's body and blood, so surely... He nourishes and refreshes my soul for eternal life with his crucified body and poured out blood. What does it mean to eat the crucified body of Christ and to drink his poured out blood? It means to accept with a believing heart the entire suffering and death of Christ and in this way to receive forgiveness of sins and eternal life. But it means more. Through the Holy Spirit who lives both in Christ and in us, we are united more and more to Christ's blessed body. And so, although he is in heaven and we are on earth, we are flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone. And we forever live on and are governed by one spirit as the members of our body are by one soul. Where does Christ promise 
to nourish and refresh believers with his body and blood as surely as they eat this broken bread and drink this cup. In the institution of the Lord's Supper, the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This promise is repeated by Paul in these words, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Amen. Beloved disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ, images are an amazing thing. We've all heard it said, a picture is worth a thousand words. We know that saying because there's truth in it. Words, whether written or spoken, have great power to set forth a logical argument. Great power to describe either beauty or ugliness. Great power to catalog detailed descriptions, but images whether photographs or paintings, whether still images or those with action, whether presented via media or in real time. Images have the power to convey things that mere words cannot. Images can evoke emotion that are deeper than can be evoked through the most skillfully wrought words. Images can present details in a manner that would be a struggle for writers. Images can present evidence that will be far more readily accepted because it's seen with one's own eyes. Images, visual representations, have a power that is unique, which written words and spoken words, despite their great strength, simply lack. And that, I believe, is part of why God did not give an unlimited command to use images in worship. Given their power to influence the heart, we must be protected from many images. Moreover, images are addictive. How many young people and young adults do you know who, when they were young, when they were little tykes, they were just addicted to books. They just absolutely loved to read, to immerse themselves in the pages of words. But then, but then, but then they found... YouTube, and TikTok, and Snapchat, and suddenly it's a struggle to get them to crack the pages of a single book. Images are addictive. We, well, they're, they're easier than words, right? They don't require the use of the imagination. They put it all out there, and they're powerful. We need to use images with great care, and therefore God gave His church for worship only two images. Baptism and the Lord's Supper, images that have great power and great depth and great focus. Baptism focusing us on the heart of the gospel that unites us to Christ and His church. The Lord's Supper focusing us us on what God has done in Christ to give us life and to nurture that life throughout until we are brought to His side. Only two. 
But those two images are glorious and powerful. And having been designed by God, they are the two that we need. Now we've considered the amazing image of baptism. Seeing how it's a perfect visual aid that brings us comfort in the promises by which God has knit us together with his people. Today we begin to consider that other image of the Lord's Supper. Now in the coming weeks, we're going to consider, Lord willing, how the Supper really directs us to the heart of our hope. And also how it nourishes those and only those who receive it with a true hunger for Christ. But today we begin with the basics of the sacrament. Recognizing how the Lord's Supper visibly displays the truth of our life in Christ. And so that's our theme. The Lord's Supper visibly displays the truth of our life in Christ. And that begins with the way that it portrays the sacrament that say, or the, the sacrifice that saves us. Remember the original context of the Lord's Supper. We heard in Mark 14, as they were eating. This wasn't just a regular meal that they were eating. As I said before, it was the Passover feast. Passover, you may recall, was a feast that the Jews shared annually, once a year. And it was, in fact, a sacrament instituted at the Exodus when God led forth his people out of Egypt. Passover was the sacrament that proclaimed deliverance and provision. Deliverance from slavery, provision during the, the, the time of wandering in the wilderness. Understand what that sacrament involved. They would take, if they were following it according to God's command in Exodus 12 and 13, they would take a lamb. And they would welcome that lamb into their homes. Now, that wasn't terribly uncommon. They often kept farm animals in their homes. But they would take that year-old lamb into their homes for five days. Now, you imagine a, five, a, a year-old lamb in your home with your children for five days. You get kind of attached. You get to know its quirks and its idiosyncrasies. You see how adorable it is running around and playing but then on the fifth day, you're to kill it. Pour out its blood. That blood, in the original celebration of the Passover, that blood was to mark their door frames. To mark that this household contained the people of God who needed to be protected, who needed to be preserved from the wrath of God against his enemies. And then the meat was cooked and eaten by a people who were ready to go, who were ready to leave, nourishing them for the journey ahead. And so subsequent celebrations recalled how God had protected them when he poured out his wrath against Egypt, against those who stood against him as his enemies, that blood marked Israel as his people and he passed by them with his wrath. He passed over them, hence the name of Passover. And they were to recall how God fed them so that they would be ready to go, so that they would be nourished for the, the journey into the wilderness, across the sea, out into 
the future and the coming promise of the land. Along with that lamb, they would eat bitter herbs to remind them of their hard slavery and the misery of that slavery in Egypt. They would eat unleavened bread to remind them that they left in haste with no time for the bread to rise, but also to remind them to cleanse their lives of the old leaven of sin. And they would consume wine, wine which would refresh the heart, wine which was made for celebration because this is a feast of celebration, a feast of remembering that God delivers us and that God provides for us continually. This is what Jesus and his disciples were celebrating when he instituted the sacrament. But now Jesus was was imparting to that sacrament new significance. Not disconnected from the old, but infusing to the old new import. Because you see, when they celebrated that sacrament, they were supposed to be doing it with one foot in the past and one eye on the future. They were looking to the past, remembering what God had done, how he had delivered them, how he had provided for them, but also looking forward. Because even then they were to remember that the slavery from which God delivers us isn't just the slavery of old Egypt. It's also our spiritual slavery to sin, our spiritual slavery to rebellion. And the provision... He provided for our people in the wilderness for those 40 years, but he also provides for us and he will do so for life eternal. And so Jesus institutes this sacrament that shows the time is at hand. I have come to deliver you from your slavery to sin. I have come to deliver you into life eternal. I have come to provide for you throughout the wilderness of your life in this world and unto the new heavens and the new earth. I have come to protect you from the judgment that you deserve, the judgment that's going to fall upon all who stand in rebellion against God. And because you are marked by my blood, because you are united to the Lamb, I will pass over you with my wrath and you will escape. The bread that is broken, he says, it is my body. And by that he showed them that he had come as the true Passover lamb. Like the lambs of the Passover, he was gentle and filled with love. They they delighted in him. They had lived with him and come to know all of his ways. But now they would see his body broken. They would see him suffer the wrath of God so that they might live. But by his suffering, by his brokenness, They would escape that wrath. They would escape that judgment. They would obtain life. And likewise, as the wine was poured out, he says, this is my blood. And by this, he institutes a new Passover. In old Egypt, God sent death to devastate the homes of the wicked. Not all would die in those homes, but all would taste the the suffering and the grief of sin. But now Jesus is showing That judgment was merely a foretaste. All sin merits death. We all must die or someone must die for us. And it was his blood that would mark us as those who would escape. Because he would suffer for us. His blood would be poured out instead of ours. And by that blood we would be not just cleansed as baptism shows us, but marked 
set apart as those who are His, as those who are holy, as those who are exempt, as those who have already died in Christ. And as a result, we would have peace. Peace that could come in no other way. Peace that could never be lost. Peace that covers every sin. Folks, we must not regard that clinically. It's easy to do. It's a tradition that we celebrate six times a year. A religious rite that we could easily receive as that which we do because our forefathers did it. As that which we do because it's expected of us. As that which maybe messes up our Sunday routine six times a year, five times a year, and on Good Friday. But we must not. What does he say? Do this in remembrance of me. When you see children, young people, when you see that bread broken, you need to think of Christ and what he did for you. When you see the wine poured out, you need to think about how his blood was poured out for our sake. It is an affront against Christ to shrug and to yawn and to let our minds wander when he says, Take, this is my body, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. We need to see what he has done. As they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. As you see the bread broken, that's a violent act, isn't it? You've seen the pastor taking, it doesn't just fall apart, does it? The fingers dig into that crust and tear and twist and pull Until that which was whole is rent in parts. The crumbs fall. It's messy. It's dirty in a sense. And as we see that, we need to remember that is an image of Christ. His body pummeled by the scarred fists of the Roman soldiers. That is Jesus. The skin... And the muscle of his back, scarred and torn by the leather and the bone of the whips. That is Jesus, his back lacerated and irritated by the hard, rough cross. This is the suffering that we deserve. But not just that, because that physical suffering, it was merely... The outward demonstration of the deeper suffering, the truer suffering that we deserve. The suffering of being forsaken by God. The suffering that was signified by the darkness that fell upon the land. The the suffering that indicated that God, whose comfort Jesus had known eternally, was suddenly stripped from him. Because that's what we deserved. When we see that bread broken, we need to recognize that is Christ and what he has done for us. And that is what earned us life. This is the bread. Not not what we see on the table, but what Jesus did. This is the bread that nourishes us unto life eternal. This is the death endured that we might escape judgment by this sacrifice. Nourished by it, we enter into eternal life that can never be taken away. And again, he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. 
And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. It's a common act, isn't it? Wine is poured from the carafe into the cup. We see it at the table on a regular basis. And yet how powerful that carafe which once was full becomes empty. And the the wine, it doesn't just flow, it spatters and it sparkles. This is the lifeblood of Christ. Pouring from his lacerated scalp and glistening on the thorns of his crown. This is the blood of Christ seeping from his back and staining the borrowed purple robe. A trail of blood marked his path from Pilate's courtroom to the place of the cross. Let that wine turn your mind to Exodus 24 as Israel camped at the foot of Mount Sinai. And the sacrifices for their sin were brought forth and killed before the people. Their blood poured out into basins and Moses read the words of the covenant, the glorious promise, I will be your God and you shall be my people, but also here are the consequences for your sin. Here are the consequences for your rebellion. And as the people affirmed, yes, this is our covenant, this is our God, we will keep the words of this covenant, that blood was spattered upon people and priests alike, marking them as God's people. And so now we see the blood poured out which marks us as the people of Christ, as the people who have been set apart, exempt from the wrath of God because Jesus took that wrath from us, marked as His and called not just to weep for our sins, but to celebrate for His grace, to delight with the wine, that He has chosen us, that He has set us apart, that He has made us His own. My friends, we must see Christ in the celebration of the supper. Do not allow that bread to be broken and that wine to be poured out unconsidered. But as it happens, recognize what you are to see. This is the blood of the Savior shed for me. This is His body broken that I might be whole. Because as real as is that bread and that wine, that's how real His sacrifice was for you. That's how vivid, that's how true. And that's how we live. But you know, it's not merely to teach us that God gave the supper. That's what we've been taking note of, how we see that image and it imparts to us a deeper understanding of what He did. But there's more. He gave that sacrament also to provide assurance, to give us confidence, certainty, that not only did He do it, but He did it for me. And so that's the other thing we need to consider briefly, how the sacrament personalizes the unity that rescues us. See, unlike movies or works of art, sacraments inherently are interactive visual aids. You see the lesson, the the physical image portrayed by the loaf of bread, by the glass of wine. The suffering displayed by the tearing of the bread and the pouring out of the wine. You see that and you learn, but then... Then the elements come by you and you, you smell the yeasty smell of the bread. You sniff as the wine comes past and you can smell its pungent odor. 
You reach out your hand and you touch. You can feel the rough yet soft texture of that bread. In a moment you taste. You taste that bread so unmistakable in flavor. The the wine which floods your senses. God ordained that sensory experience in order to bless you with assurance. The elements are given to you personally. Notice that. The preaching of the word is to come promiscuously, our canons tell us. In other words, it comes to all without any differentiation, without any distinguishing. Everyone who walks in that door is to hear the word proclaimed, right? It comes with promise to those who receive by faith and with curse to those who reject it. But it comes to all, but not the sacrament, not the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper comes to those who have confessed their faith in Christ. To those who have gained a maturity to demonstrate that they really understand what he has done and that he has done it for them. It comes to those who have enough passion for Christ that they were willing to take the initiative to go and to ask the elders, may I partake, may I join with the congregation. It comes to you. Christ demonstrating this is for you. It's not for everyone without differentiation. It is for you who belong to me by faith. It is for you who by the Spirit's power have reached out your hand to take the bread of life. Just as surely as that bread is given to you, as that cup is extended to your fingers, so surely His his sacrifice was for you. So surely His victory now enlivens you. Recognize the personal nature of that assurance and recognize that these are not merely past tense benefits. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is complete, absolutely. That is past tense. What we needed to have done, he has accomplished. And yet, and yet still today he is here. He is with us. And the Lord's Supper assures us of this also. You receive that morsel of bread and what happens to it? You chew it. Your teeth, your tongue, they break it down into pieces. It mixes with the saliva. As you swallow it down, it... It breaks down into its component parts, doesn't it? Pretty soon in your stomach, in your intestines, it's broken down further and further until it can be absorbed through the the walls of your intestines, entering into your bloodstream, becoming truly part of you as it nourishes your very cells. Likewise, the wine, even more quickly. Barely do you swallow and you feel that light flush on your face. You know that it's entering already into your bloodstream. It's becoming one with you. And the Lord is showing you. As real as is that unity that you have with the bread, with the wine, so too your unity with God through the Holy Spirit. He was sent by Jesus to live with us. He takes up His residence within us, intimately united, and never ever does He leave us. And He wants us to see that indwelling by the Holy Spirit is just as true, just as real, just as irreversible as our unity with that morsel of bread, with that cup of wine. Now, why is that important? In that reality, in that unity, is our ongoing comfort. You heard that message from Galatians 2. I have been crucified with Christ. 
It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And how we desperately need that assurance. Christ supplies precisely what we lack. How often, in the first place, have you felt worthless because of the sins with which you continue to struggle and which you too often give in to? By our unity with those elements, he reminds us Jesus did this for you. You've been crucified. You have come to new life. It's not by what you have done that you're worthy in the sight of God, but but by what Christ has done who is united to you. But more than that, you stand there facing that temptation knowing that you don't have the strength to say no and that sacrament reminds you the Holy Spirit is with you, is in you, is empowering you. You lack the strength, but He does not. You lack the power, but He is infinitely powerful. You look at that week that stretches ahead that has so many impossible things. That doctor's visit you're dreading. That hard task that you don't know how you're going to get through. That visit with someone that... How am I going to talk to him about that? And you can't. You lack the strength. You lack the power. But he doesn't. And he dwells within you. Just as that bread, just as that wine have been intimately united to you, so the Holy Spirit is always with you through every valley, in every dark night, no matter what hard conversation, no matter what impossible task. He's there. Nourishing you, caring for you, bringing you through the wilderness until finally we cross that great Jordan and we enter into the fullness of the land of promise, which is the new heavens and the new earth. Until that very day He is with us. He is the manna, the living bread. And having turned to Him, we can never be cast aside. We can never be snatched away. But only if we are in Him. And that sacrament testifies as we eat, as we drink, as we swallow. You are in Him. You are that united. So take note of that. Don't eat and drink thoughtlessly looking at your watch. How late are we going to be to catechism class today? But think of what the significance is that you are swallowing down that That you are united. How amazing. How amazing. Beloved, images are powerful things. I'm a writer. I love words. I love to craft words. I love to set forth careful arguments. But there's something about those images that just simply bypass the logical... That's one of the reasons they're so dangerous. They they bypass the logic circuits and they go straight to the heart. This is what Christ has done. This is for whom He has done it. And this is how inextricably intertwined with us He now is. How amazing. Let us never, ever, ever allow that sacrament to pass without careful consideration, without careful pondering. 
But may it strengthen us. May it deepen our faith. May it concretize our assurance so that we might know that the Son of God loved us, gave himself for us, and we now live in him. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we desperately need exactly what the sacrament offers. So, Father, we pray that you would enable us, when we next partake of it, to do so with understanding, with attention, with faith that enables us to comprehend deep in our hearts the reality that it sets before us. That through the sacrament, our faith might be strengthened, our assurance made full. And we pray that in this, you might be glorified as your people come to know and to love and to delight in you all the more. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen.